0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. The verse that our students focused on this week was Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, and it comes after a exhortation, I guess you would say, that Paul gives the believers Encouraging them to live in the newness of life that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, it's no surprise that as Christians, we're to live differently than the world. But the big debate always comes into what does different look like? Especially in the Bible Belt and what we would consider a Christian nation. What does a true believer look like who lives differently than the world. And I think Paul addresses that here and does a good job of discussing that. So we're gonna read this passage of scripture and then we're gonna pray that God would open our eyes as we would be able to hear this word. So if you have your Bibles, it's Colossians chapter three, verse one through 17. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about these things of heaven and not the things of earth, for you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sinful immorality, with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping only the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. But put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Will you pray with me? God, we ask this morning as we turn to your word that you would... Open the ears of our hearts to hear what you are saying to us. God, in the middle of our busy schedules, in the middle of our crazy lives, in the midst of the noise and the chaos that the world is constantly throwing at us, we ask that our ears would be attuned to your word this morning. That our discussions of theology would be set aside that our eyes might be set upon you. God, that our discernment of the directions that we are to take would be set aside, that our understanding would be that you and you alone are the only goal. So God, open your word for us this morning. Speak to our hearts so that all things we might respond as your people giving our best for the sake of your glory. We pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the theme for last week's mission camp was all in. And what our hope was and what our goal was for these students is that through a week of shutting out the outside world, turning off uh, TV, spending as little time as possible on social media. We actually dared them on Sunday night to not spend any time on social media for the week. And for the most part, they, they did that. And that was really neat to see. But for an entire week, to, to put off every single thing that influences them besides what Christ was doing during the week on their mission site and in their time here together. And what we were wanting to do is we were wanting to facilitate that mountaintop experience. You know those times where you are with God or you're in a, in a place where everything seems to be focused on, on the things that it should be focused on and none of the other things really matter. We were trying to facilitate one of those settings for these students this week with the hopes of getting them to realize that the only reason the mountaintop experience happened was because they were intent on making it happen. How often do we forget when Jesus says that we have everything we need to be successful actually it is truth that we can live into and we can trust in. You see, the wheelchair ramps got built because these students were set on building wheelchair ramps. These adults showed these students an example of Christ by working alongside them and encouraging them because they were intent on showing these children an example of Christ. You see, as believers, the only way that Christ is shown and the only way that people will see Christ in us is if that is our intentions whenever we undertake anything. So I've shared with you before when I was in the eighth grade how I went to Australia and I spent several weeks in Australia doing mission work, but I've never shared with you the lead up to those times in Australia. You see, I grew up in a church uh, that was very mission-oriented. It was nothing for our teenagers or our children to go out in our community and do some kind of mission work. Uh, We had a thing called Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, where we would literally knock on random people's doors with yard rakes and say, hey, we just want to rake your yard. And the reason we want to rake your yard is because Jesus loves us, and sometimes this is the only way that we can show love. So we just want to rake your yard. That was the worst job in the world. Don't ever do that. But anyways, you'd be surprised what you find in people's yard. But we were really big into missions. It was no big thing. You know, they'd go to Mexico every single spring break. That was what we did at our church. And so getting ready to go to Australia, we had to raise our funds just like any other missionary would. We had to go talk to different churches and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Could you support me in that? Would you pray for me? All that good stuff. And so one Sunday, I had addressed my home church, and I had told them, you know, I'm going to Australia, Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to different schools, we're going to share the gospel message, we're going to do some street performances in order to share the gospel message, Uh, and we're going to do a lot of construction work. We're going to be working at a church camp uh, that serves underprivileged kids, and they get to come for free every summer, and they get to learn about Jesus, and we're going to be helping remodel that church camp. It needs some work, and we're going to be the ones taking part in that. Sounds like a good story, doesn't it? So anyways, after church, um, I'll never forget Miss Penny Day. Penny was Mark and Paul Day's mom. Mark is one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. He was like the guy in youth groups everybody wanted to be. So naturally that just kind of went over to his his parents. They were just cool. They were cool people. And she came up to me and she said, Matt, do you mind if we sit down for a minute and have a conversation? I was like, sure. And I was like, she's about to to dispel some of that great, wonderful wisdom that she has to me, you know. And I'm going to finally get on their level. And so we sit there in the sanctuary, everybody else is down in the fellowship hall, and uh, she said, Matt, I'm, I'm concerned about your intentions of going to Australia this summer. And I was like, she finally understands it, that it takes money to do this, and it's getting close to the wire, and I need some money, you know? She's going she to, so, so I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to write you a check and pay for it. Well, that wasn't really what it was. She said, I've, I've, I've watched you growing up, Matt, you know? And she has. She's seen me every week since I was in fourth grade. She, she knows me. And uh, she said, It always seems to be that when the work gets really hard, you're nowhere to be found. And I'm sitting there at 12 years old going, Hold up, that's just not fair. That's not fair. I'm a young teenage kid. Of course, that's how it's supposed to be. And she said, But not only that, it seems like when the group is working, you are always the one that finds a way to do the least amount of work. And again, I'm sitting there going, this is not cool. What is it, who is this lady to question what God has called me to do in my life? I know that God wants me to go to Australia and do this mission work. And who is this lady telling me that I'm not supposed to go? And she said, I'm telling you this because I love you. So not only has she called me out, but she threw the guilt icing on top of it. So I can't fight back at this point. And she said, I, I seriously want you to think about what you're going to be doing this summer. Yeah, there's going to be some physical work. Yeah, you're going to have to do some things that are going to be uncomfortable. She said, but Matt, what you are doing is you are going out with the intent purpose of showing people what Jesus Christ looks like. And she said, I know it's easy at your age to go ahead and and try to get by on some things a little easier than we probably should be. She said, that's your age. I get that. She said, but you are going out this summer To show people what Jesus looks like. And she said, if you're not there when the work is going on, does that show people that Jesus is not present when stuff is going on in our life? Or if something gets a little hard and a little frustrating to do and you take off and go do something else, would that give people the impression that maybe Jesus takes off when things in our life get a little bit harder, a little bit frustrating? And I realized where she was going with this. And I thought about her words a little bit. And she told me, she said, Matt, when you go this summer, it's not like she didn't say, I'm going to speak up and say, I don't think you're ready to go this summer. She never said that, which she had the ability to do that. She said, when you go this summer, I want you to keep one thing in mind, that you are going out to be the image of Christ. So every single thing that you do, you need to do it as if you are doing it for Jesus himself. And I thought about those words. And the meaning of those words did not kick in until a few weeks later when we had to get up at 5 a.m. and run an obstacle course. You see, before this group would send anybody out anywhere in the world, they wanted to prepare them for what was ahead. These were kids that were coming from established homes in first world cities and they were going out to mud huts and tents in third world undeveloped countries. And there's a little bit of a shock factor there when things aren't the same. So they wanted to prepare us for that. So we didn't get ice and anything that we drank. Bathroom situation, had no running water, I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But we had to learn to work as a team. 18 first world teenagers learning to work as a team so that then they, when they went into the jungles and into the places that people very rarely ever go, and we literally went to those places, they had to be able to have each other's backs. They had to be able to see the situation and act accordingly for the the safety of everybody as well as for the purpose of what they were going for. So at five o'clock, we had to get up and we had to run this obstacle course. And it sounds fun. Until it got to the point where it got hard, where you had to lift everybody up over a 12-foot wall. It sounds fun until it comes to reality, and you realize that some people aren't as easy to lift up over that wall as others. Or when you're the last person and you realize, I have to figure out how to jump 10 feet in the air. It's not that easy. Or when we had to take all 66 books of the Bible and put them in order before we could eat breakfast. It sounds easy maybe by yourself. I could do that by myself. But when you got 18 other people that you're trying to get on board to do the same thing, it becomes a little chaotic. And those words, do everything you can do as though you were doing it for Jesus Christ himself, can really change the outlook of a situation. When you're frustrated with somebody, it's very easy to allow that to come out in the way that you deal with them. But if you think about it being Jesus Christ as the person that you are dealing with, suddenly that desire to become frustrated is sucked back into your soul and your demeanor changes. When you have to go dig a hole so that the runoff can get out of the way and not flood the building and it's pouring down rain and you don't want to be out there because it's cold, Those words of do it as though you're doing it for Jesus Christ himself can suddenly take a task that nobody wants to do in their right mind. And it becomes something that not only do you want to do, you would be willing to do it again if it's necessary. There's a lot of power in the words that Paul is telling this group of believers when it comes to living in the new life. But it also comes with a decision that the believer has to make. You would agree with me when I say that it is very easy to live as though we'd never met Jesus at all, wouldn't you? When somebody makes us mad, when we see something on the news that frustrates us, when we're asked to do something that we really don't want to do, it's very easy to respond as though we would if Jesus was never around, isn't it? So Paul is telling this group of believers that if you are alive in the new life of Jesus Christ, then you cannot continue to live as though you had lived before Jesus was part of the equation. You know, a bird is a bird and will always live as a bird. If a bird ever not becomes a bird, it won't be a bird anymore, am I right? So it wouldn't make sense for it to live as a bird anymore. That's some of that Paul talk for you. Paul is very careful about how he worded this conversation because he realized in the list of things that he addressed there in verse five and verse six, those were real world things that these believers dealt with. Those were real-world things that these people who had come to Jesus Christ and had claimed to have new life dealt with on an everyday plane. So when Paul said his words, he didn't just say them as church talk, but he said them as something that they needed to take in order to redefine their identity. That's something that the church doesn't teach a lot of people nowadays. But instead, we teach people who you are is who you are, and that's good enough for God. But what if the reality of it is, is that who you are is who God wanted you to be, but there's some things in the way that are keeping you from experiencing who God wanted you to be. You've heard that saying before that grace will always find you exactly where you're at, but it will never intend to leave you there. That's what Paul's saying here is that if the grace of Jesus Christ is in your life, then you will become a new creation. Then you will desire to work and to live and to hold yourself in light of a new identity in which Jesus Christ has called you to live. And so he tells them of what it means to live in a new life. And if you'll notice at the very base of all these things that Paul speaks of, they all have to do with selflessness. With every single thing that Paul talks about, there shows a value for our neighbor that our natural selves does not want to give up easily. All of the things that Paul addresses says that if if you live according to any of these things, you're still holding yourself as number one. He said, but with the newness that is found in Christ Jesus, understand there can only be one number one person in your life and it ain't you anymore. But instead it is the person of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I wanna sum all of this up for you. Whatever you do or say, remember that you are a representative of Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, do it as though you are doing it for Jesus Christ himself. And those are words that have caught me at different times in life. So one of the groups this week had a very, very large project. It was a 10 by 16 deck and a 32 foot wheelchair ramp. And in order to remain uh, compliant with American Disabilities Association guidelines there's a lot of things that you have to do such as how you build your handrails and making sure you put flat spots in the length of the ramp to give them time to rest and all those things that you normally wouldn't think about when you're just putting some boards together. And it just so happened that at the very end of the project we didn't have the right boards necessary to finish the handrail. And anybody on a normal day would have just nailed up the boards that were left, called a good and hit the road. I have been blessed with OCD. So that's not necessarily how I saw that, but also it gave me an opportunity to teach these students about doing everything you do as though you're doing it for Jesus Christ himself. And so we made the decision that we would get the boards that were needed and we would bring them back out and we would finish the wheelchair ramp. Well, they had to go to another project, so it fell on me in order to do that. So after I got everybody lined up Thursday, they went on and did their thing and I got the boards necessary, and I drove out there and I cut the boards and I nailed them up and I grabbed the two boards that were left on site and I go to nail them up and they were both about three inches shy. And three inches shy in this case was really, really ugly. And this was our farthest project that we had. I was a little frustrated. It was about 99 degrees at that moment. And I was frustrated. So i get in the truck and the thing that made it frustrating was the two boards that I'd taken out there. If I'd have measured all that was left, I'd have been fine. But I just assumed that the boards out there were long enough and they weren't. So I had what I needed. I just didn't cut it right. So I get in the truck and I head back to town and I'm I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm pretty, Pretty frustrated because I got to drive to Four City and take care of some other stuff, and then I've got to go all the way back and do that. And I got to thinking about it. Matt, you just told those kids the day before to do everything they were doing as though they were doing it for Jesus Christ. And now you're frustrated because some boards didn't turn out the way that you needed them to. But what if Jesus had asked you to go back and get those boards and come back. You don't want to do it. It's hot outside. But what if Jesus had asked you to do it? Would you get frustrated with what Jesus had asked you to do? And the reality of it is, is that's where a lot of us live our lives. We know that Jesus is asking us to do something. We know that there is something that needs to be done. But the idea of us having to do it is not something that we're comfortable with. The idea of stepping in and taking care of the business that we know needs to be accomplished is not something we wanna do. Let's just be honest. Sometimes there are things that God calls us to do that we just don't wanna do. Think about this. We had 25 teenagers just in this camp. There were four other camps going on that had 60 plus teenagers who had given up a week of their summer vacation to come and to build wheelchair ramps for people. It sounds like fun. It is fun. It's a lot of work. On the other side of that equation, we had a lot of adults who were here by six o'clock every morning, which means they would gotten up about five. And then after all the kids went to sleep at 1030, the adults had the meeting to talk about the next day, which meant that they got to sleep about one So one to five, four or five nights in a row, you can get the math there of how easy it would be to be frustrated. But they knew that it was something that God had called them to do, so they did that. And because of that, all this stuff got accomplished. These students left excited about what God could do through them because of the way that these people had responded to the situation presented to them. So my challenge for you is this. God is going to call you to something that you don't want to do. Within the life of the church right now, there are things needed that you don't want to do. So I want to encourage you with Paul's words that if you claim the newness of life that comes through the person of Jesus Christ to do everything, whether you say it, whether it's a call to action, whether it's responding to a request, to do it as though you were doing it for Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus Christ were asking you to teach a Sunday school class, if Jesus Christ was asking you To give a little bit more. If Jesus Christ was asking you to be present, how are we to respond if Jesus Christ has truly given us new life?